Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. We are in week three of our series, War Within. And in the series, we've acknowledged the principle that what we courageously confront internally within ourselves determines what we overcome externally outside of ourselves in the world around us. And so we've been on the journey of encouraging those that are walking with us to start exploring who they are on the inside, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I say the bad and the ugly in that statement because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 to 10 tells us that the heart of man is hopelessly dark. So at some stage, you inevitably are going to end up facing the dark side of who you are if you are going to be courageous enough to confront who you are on the inside. And what we will often do at the point at which we engage with the dark side of who we are is hide in shame the very things that God wants to heal in love. We tend to hide in shame the very things that God wants to heal in love. And so as part of this Uh, four-week series, we made a commitment to declaring the prayer that was first prayed by one of the early church fathers, Augustine. And he prayed this. He said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in order that I may know thee, that I may know who you are in the fullness of your love and grace. In many ways, courageously taking the hand of the Good Shepherd and letting him lead us into the valley of the shadow of our own darkness helps us discover a side of Christ that we very often can miss because we suddenly begin to see him doing the miraculous in the middle of our mess. We begin to see his love and mercy in the places in which we assumed he would condemn us for our brokenness and our imperfection. And so today I want to focus specifically on the dark side of depression that we often explore and discover in the middle of our own internal journey. Out of 14 countries that were researched recently, South Africa scored sixth highest in the prevalence of anxiety. Now anxiety develops from a complex set of risk factors including genetics, brain chemistry, personality and life events. And anxiety is also linked to depression. Nearly half of those with a serious anxiety problem suffer with depression too. And there are different degrees of depression. But as those degrees intensify, so do the dangers that come with it. And when depression is really serious, it's a medical problem just like a sickness you might experience in your body like cancer. Rick Warren, the great Christian leader and author of the book Purpose Driven Life, lost his son to suicide because of a long struggle with depression. And he once said these words, Depression is not a character issue. It's a chemical issue. It can be biological. It can be a physical part of the brokenness of our humanity. In that context, I also once read a tweet about depression from someone who wrote that when cancer takes a life, we blame cancer. Depression is a disease Don't blame the victim for losing the fight. And when I read that, I realized that 
Depression is a sickness, and some people get to the point at which the pain they experience and the darkness they're facing leads them to finding more deliverance in giving up their lives than keeping them. And I want to say to you that if you're experiencing that intense depression, I want to encourage you to treat it as a medical condition and not just a spiritual circumstance. The Christian author Ronald Dunn wrote, To say to a person suffering that kind of depression that all he needs is the Bible is like saying to a surgeon that all he needs to remove a tumor is the Bible. (laughs) That's ridiculous. And in the same way, we need to understand and have the similar approach to serious medical depression that we might be experiencing. We must ensure that we don't spiritualize depression to the point at which we reject human intervention. In fact, it's interesting to observe that Jesus himself, in doing many miracles, used every natural resource possible in the process of doing the supernatural. And Jesus also very often empowered the people around him to practically participate in the processes of their own healings. Jesus, in one case, used mud and spit as part of healing a blind man. Now, in that region, it is said that um, the, the mud was used for medicinal purposes. And so he was using the natural resources as part of the process to a supernatural healing. Clearly, Jesus spit and the mud that he used to create the paste he put on the man's eyes did not bring back the sight to the man. But they were used in the process of Jesus bringing a supernatural power, giving the man back the sight that he had lost or never had. And in the same way, we see Jesus once telling a man that was sick to go and wash himself in the pool of Siloam. Jesus didn't drag him there or go and fetch the water, but told the man to get up from where he was and to go and wash himself as part of being empowered practically in participating in the process of his healing. Jesus at one point requested the available loaves and fish from a young boy, which he would then multiply supernaturally to feed 5,000. And I believe that Jesus may be directing some of us that have a medical depression toward participating practically in our healing from this issue by getting up and walking into the doctor's office where we can take hold of the natural resources of medication and counseling in the process of participating in our healing, which Jesus can then repurpose as part of a supernatural testimony. The reason I say this is because as Dr. Dr. John White observes in his book, The Masks of Melancholy, Christians tend to see their depression only in spiritual terms. They feel they have let God down. You have not let God down. And one of your greatest testimonies might be in your willingness to embrace the process of your healing through practical help. The darkness of depression is something that's very real for many people and it changes or varies in degrees. But I want to look at a man in uh, history that experienced a period of darkness and perhaps even depression and definitely anxiety. And I want to look at how the journey of his breakthrough from the darkness correlates to our breakthrough in the darkness of depression and anxiety in our personal lives today. 
And this man is documented in the pages of history found in the Bible, and his name is Jacob. He was the youngest of uh, twins, and his older brother was called Esau. Now, Jacob's name means he deceives. I'm like, thanks, mom. Thanks for the name. Um, And Jacob did live up to this name as the deceiver because later on in his life, he cheated his older brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. Regardless of this deceitful act, though, Jacob did mature in his faith, um, depending on God more and more throughout his life. And um, the turning point of full surrender to God was going to ultimately be in a dramatic all-night wrestling match with God that we, we're going to look at in just a moment. But as I said, Jacob had earlier in his life deceived his older brother Esau, and intent on revenge, Esau threatened to kill Jacob for having wronged him. Seeking to protect Jacob from his brother's wrath, their mother Rebekah then sent Jacob to live with her brother Laban. And after spending 20 years in Laban's home, Jacob was then commanded by God to return to the land of his ancestors, the land of Canaan. But this would mean that he would have to pass through Edom, which was the territory of his brother Esau. Dun, 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 the plot thickens. Now, as part of advancing into God's promises of blessing for Jacob, he had to reconnect with this brother after a period of separation because of his deceit. And this was a threat to what he thought was a potential life in the fullness of the promises of God. In fact, we read of the fear in Jacob and the anxiety in Jacob at the thought of having to confront his brother after these many years uh, from Genesis chapter 32, verse 11 to 12, where he cries out to God in these words. He says, please save me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and, and the mothers with their children. But, but God, you have said, I will certainly give you success. I will make your children as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. People will not be able to count them. And so you can see here that Jacob is in this moment where he's saying, God, you've given me promises, but now I'm facing a problem. I'm afraid. What if things don't work out? I'm anxious and overwhelmed by what my confrontation with my brother might end up looking like. Please save me. Somehow save me. And so in this state of anxiety and fear, we read of an account in which Jacob enters a period of darkness. In Genesis chapter 32, verses 21 to 31. And it says this. So Jacob's gifts went ahead of him. First of all, Jacob was so scared of his brother Esau that he sent guys with gifts ahead of them entering the territory of Esau, hoping that... With a few gifts, Esau would calm down and receive Jacob without being angry or wanting to take revenge. So that first line says, so Jacob's gifts went ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up. He took his two wives, his two female servants and his sons and sent them across the Jabbok River. After they had crossed the stream, he sent over everything he owned So Jacob was left alone. A man struggled with him until morning. The man saw that he couldn't win, so he touched the inside of Jacob's hip. 
As Jacob's struggled with the man, Jacob's hip was twisted, some versions say dislocated. Then the man said, let me go, it is morning. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will not be Jacob anymore. Instead, it will be Israel. You have struggled with God and with men, and you have won. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. He said, I saw God face to face, but I'm still alive. The sun rose above Jacob as he passed by Peniel. He was limping because of his hip. Now this account of this period of darkness in Jacob's life is... Uh, kind of very brief in the text, but I want us to pause and look more into this moment um, and what Jacob experienced. The first thing I want us to acknowledge is that Jacob seemed to be alone and afraid in the darkness. Part of the verse we read says, so Jacob was left alone. He would have been waiting, wondering and worrying about tomorrow and what his interaction with Esau would be like. Would his brother accept his gifts or kill him? What lay ahead and where was God's deliverance in all this darkness? Where was the God who had promised him his children would be as many as the sand on the seashore while he was in a place of darkness? And when I think of darkness like that, I'm reminded of Psalm 23 verse 4 that speaks about part of our human experience and facing darkness. It says, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, some versions say into the valley of the shadow of darkness or the valley of the shadow of death, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. And I hear that and think about the dark experiences I have, and I know for sure that I don't feel like God is with me, that I don't see the hand of God in the middle of what I'm going through. And it was the same for Jacob. Jacob was in a place where he would have questioned everything about all God had promised him for his future. And there are two things that Jacob would have not recognized that we also very often don't recognize in the middle of our dark struggles. The first thing is that God was close to him in the dark, maybe even more so than in the light of day. The author Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he wrote it out of the context of having spent eight years as a sheep owner and rancher. And he describes the season of darkness more accurately in the context when he explains how it represents the winter months. He says, during this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They are in intimate contact with him and under his most personal attention, day and night. The first thing Jacob would have overlooked is that God may have been closer to him in the darkness of night than the light of day. And for those that are experiencing darkness, Psalm 23 tells us that the shepherd is with us in the middle of that struggle. 
You might be alone from others in your struggle, but it may be because the good shepherd wants a one-on-one. The second thing that Jacob may have overlooked in his darkness that we also so often overlook is that the valley of the shadow of darkness is often the access point to a destiny and the place of preparation and provision for God's purposes in the future. Philip Keller goes on to explain why shepherds led their flocks through the valleys and he says firstly the valleys have the gentlest grades to the mountaintop. It is going to be the most effective way of ensuring that they get to the mountaintop. Secondly, the valley roots are well watered and generally where they find the richest feed and best forage. This is the place of provision and preparation. Jacob could never have imagined his place of darkness was the very place in which God would reshape him for his destiny. Jacob had been shaped by his past mistakes. His name, meaning deceiver, had been part of the very reason why he was sitting in the darkness at this point. It was an accumulation of the consequences linked to what he had done in his past, deceiving his older brother. But God was now in the darkness going to rename him by his future potential. You see, the devil knows your name but calls you by your sin, yet God knows your sin yet calls you by your name. Matthew Henry comments on the dark valley place as described in Psalm 23 with significant insight when he commentates saying, It is death indeed that is before us, but it is but the shadow of death. There is no substantial evil in it. The shadow of a serpent will not sting, nor the shadow of a sword kill. These dark and messy places in which God is working are the very same spaces in which the devil sees the opportunities to scare us into doubt with mere shadows. Let's remember that he cannot touch us. We might feel abandoned and alone, and he sees the opportunity to cast the shadows of our insecurities in the dark places against the walls, trying to convince us that God is not with us, that we are defeated, and that there are no options other than death. But I want to encourage you, Don't let the devil scare you into doubt where God is working in the darkness. This was Jacob's experience. Because as he sat there in the darkness alone, suddenly he found himself wrestling with a being. I can just imagine how the devil would have looked for the opportunity to cast doubt in the mind of Jacob around the potential promises and future God had for him in the middle of the darkness at this moment. As he wrestled with this being, he would have seen just the shadow of the man in the darkness. And he may have assumed it was his brother that had come to kill him. Or maybe his brother who had sent an assassin to harm him rather than knowing it as God that had come to heal him. But the game changer came when Jacob suddenly in the middle of his wrestling reframed his struggle in the dark as one leading to deliverance and not destruction because he became aware that it was God or an angel of the Lord that he was fighting with. What he had been fighting against as a curse was actually a blessing. And I want to say to you that in your struggle, the very darkness you're trying to escape might be the doorway to your deliverance. 
The very shame you're hiding might be the thing God's trying to heal. And the very painful past you're denying might be the direction into your desired destiny. For Jacob, he recognized this in the middle of what could have looked like his defeat. And Jacob, in realizing God was with him in the darkness, went from trying to escape the situation to an unceasing embrace of the being he was wrestling with. No longer is he denying the door of darkness, but walking right into it. And he says to the angel of the Lord, I won't let go unless you bless me. I won't let go unless you bless me. We got to understand at this point, Jacob has now changed his understanding of the painful process he's going through. He sees that the darkness is a place in which God is with him and doing a work which will lead him into greater things. But it doesn't mean that Jacob was feeling good or that his feelings had changed from being feelings of pain and struggle. In fact, he would have still had the experience of the dislocated hip in that very moment. Yet because he had reframed his darkness as a doorway to deliverance, healing and destiny, he could allow the pain to carry purpose, which meant he could persevere. He saw that somehow God could work out a purpose in the middle of his pain. And so he could persevere and push through until he got into that place of deliverance and healing and destiny. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10 in the word of God says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Jacob began to trust in God in the middle of his darkness. But Isaiah is also saying something in the scripture that we must understand. He is saying that the way you can recognize one who follows Jesus is by observing how they act in the dark. I believe that the world needs more Christ followers who display trust in the good shepherd while confronting their darkness instead of denying it in the name of faith. And now Jacob's transformation begins. The repurposing of his pain, the healing from his past are able to come to completion. And in Genesis 32 verse 28, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have, and have overcome. The name Jacob denotes being deceptive, describing the failure of his past. But the name Israel describes one who wrestles with God. And it will be the name given to the people who would inherit God's promises, the Israelites. Some of the things we feel are a threat to God's promises for our lives are the very things that will lead us into them. Darkness may be the doorway. Dealing with what you've denied may be the point of breakthrough. And in verse 29, we are told that God then blessed Jacob there. We want to go where we think the blessings are, but maybe they're right there in the place we're trying to escape from. It's interesting that the word blessed in this context means a transfer of power. Right there, in what felt like a place of abandonment and darkness and confusion and attack, was where God's power was transferred into Jacob's life. And that reminds me of God's promise of power in my weakness from 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 where he says, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. 
In Jacob's greatest weakness, there was a transfer of power in God. My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. Now check what it says further. It says, so I will celebrate my weakness, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. There's a dynamic to walking with God into the valley of the shadow of our darkness that allows us to sense a deeper encounter with his might and his power as his spirit lives within us. And that is why the early church father Augustine could say such a bold prayer like, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. He understood the power of acknowledging the dark weakness of his humanity in the context of a powerful Christ that would pour out love and grace, healing in love the very things that he may have tried to hide in shame. And so, for Jacob, from wrestling in the night, we arrive at the morning after. The morning after the struggle and the season of darkness. And Ronald Dunn, the author of the book, When Heaven is Silent, describes the scene as follows. He says, As the sun gently nudges its way into the eastern sky, Jacob's wives Rachel and Leah gather with their children and servants at the edge of the Jabbok stream. The long night of waiting is over. Suddenly someone shouts, There he is! Sure enough, it's Jacob crossing the stream. But wait! Something's not right. He's limping. It looks like a bad limp, someone says. Do you suppose he stumbled in the dark and twisted his leg? But as Jacob draws closer, it's obvious more is wrong than just a limp. His clothes are dirty and torn. His face is bruised. His hair deshelved. Jacob looks as though he's been in a dogfight and the dog won. They rush to him. Jacob, Jacob, what happened? Oh, Jacob says, smiling, his eyes bright. I got blessed last night. Shaking their heads, they watch him as he limps away. Someone whispers, doesn't look like any victorious Christian I've ever seen. Doesn't look like any victorious Christian I've ever seen. (sighs) Maybe it's time that we start to live in the freedom of Jesus without feeling we need to dress our external world to hide or attempt to fix our internal brokenness. Maybe the world needs to see more Christians that don't look the part of perfection, but are still living with the fullness of God's blessing, even in their brokenness, sharing the story of the Good Shepherd's guidance in their darkness when they're asked about their limp. As we said earlier, Jesus empowered people to practically participate in the process of their healing. And that begins by following him into the things you've been hiding. Will you choose to not be afraid of people assuming that you've lacked the victorious power of Christ in your life simply because you're willing to go to the places which seem to be dark and full of defeat? Will you choose not to give in to the doubt that the devil would tempt you with as you see the shadows amongst the valley of darkness that Christ is leading you into. Because those very places of the valley of the shadow of our darkness might be the very places 
in which we are entering a doorway to our destiny, deliverance, and healing. And so would you take the hand of the Good Shepherd and would you go on the journey? Because what you courageously confront internally determines what you will overcome externally.